When people say, does exercise work? What a terrible question. Because it's like saying, does food work? Or does, do you see what I mean? Or That's does it, analogy. you know? Yeah, it's like, well, it doesn't work if I don't like it because I don't bloody eat it. Is exercise a panacea? And how do we judge the effects of exercise by looking at the research? These were the tricky questions I asked our guest today, and we covered going deeper into research and looking at the magnitude of effects rather than just reading the conclusions, something I've been guilty of. So today we actually brought you Ben Cormack. Now, Ben owns and runs Core Kinetic, which is an education company. He's an MSK physiotherapist for 15 years. He specializes in an active approach, but he loves understanding the pain science and he's an international presenter and he's full of beans, lots of energy. I enjoyed this podcast. I hope you do too. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Thank you for joining us, Ben, on another episode of Physio Explained. I'm going to go straight at you with a question. Have we been fooled into thinking that exercise is a panacea in what we do as health professionals? Oh, in depth. We've gone straight in deep. Um, Firstly, I'll say thanks for having me on. Um, You know, I I think one of the big problems in rehab and therapy is that we are always looking for that nice, simple, neat, packaged answer, right? What works? What doesn't work? What should I use? How should I use it? And that's been the same since I started, you know, in the 90s. And it was core stability and it was this and it was that and it was the other. And, you know, we want that, don't we? And even the way we set research up for hypothesis testing, So the answer is, you know, we have a hypothesis, we want to prove it or disprove it. So there's this yes or no answer, right? And one of the things that I really like about research now is it's coming away from that perspective of yes or no, that dichotomous, it works, it doesn't work. So we talk about magnitude-based understandings, looking at effect sizes, looking at confidence intervals, these type of things. But it still doesn't mean there isn't this pervasive, it works or it doesn't work. And I think that that's the extension of that has just happened with exercise. That all we've done is now said, does exercise, is exercise better than acupuncture? Is exercise better than this? Is exercise better than that? So it's the mindset of does it work or does it not work? Now, one of the problems, what we should really ask is how much does it work and how much does it work for the patient in front of me? And I think that they are two things that is really important to understand. What is the average response across a population? How well does my patient fit that population? How do they respond? And I think if we start to understand things that N equals one a bit more, if we start to move away from a hypothesis testing mentality, if we start to move away from it works or it doesn't work as a perspective, then I think we're less likely to have this, you know, panacea based approach because it's, we're, Human beings want simplicity. We want to be cognitively efficient. We don't want to have to think. I want to know, will it work? Will it not work? You know, what's the protocol? Can I apply this to my patient? You know, is it going to get a better result than something else? And inherently, that doesn't make sense based on what we know about humans, what we know about pain, what we know about rehabilitation as a response. But it makes complete sense when we understand human beings and what they want as therapists, they want their lives to be easy. They want to know, they want to be doing their best for for their patients, but they want to probably do that in a way that doesn't tax them too much. My mate, Roger Kerry, 
Um, he wrote a blog post many years ago called I'm Not Paid Enough to Think, um, which was kind of this understanding of, you know, I don't want to have to do all this bloody clinical reasoning. I just want the answer. Yeah. I want the panacea. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's very much in human behaviour to want it. I don't think that it's true, but I do think, you know, when we look at what's the size of the effect, how likely is that to happen for my patient, it probably becomes a better perspective than does it work or does it not work? Is it the answer to, you know, religion, world peace, you know, COVID-19, whatever? <laughs> I, I've been wounded by this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you my biases and what I think you've touched on something. We're asking, we're asking the wrong question and, yeah. and we're probably getting offended. And I think maybe change fatigue. My story was, I'm going to open this practice called iMove and hope Apple don't sue me. And we're going to be, we're going to be movement based. We're going to focus on exercise. We spend 90% of the consult in the gym and I'm going to destroy all the other physio clinics because I'm doing something new and I'm doing something more evidence based. I'm going to pin my hat on that. And then the study comes out and says, Hey, it's not as good as you think. And I think a lot of us have been wounded by that in a way. But I think what you just pointed out is, we're asking the wrong question or we're thinking in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, it, the magnitude is a great thought. I love the magnitude rather than this is the solution. But one thing I will say, if you open a practice with a philosophy, mm. are you likely to be more passionate about what you're doing? And that passion is maybe what is going to make you succeed mm. rather than this idea of it's exercise-based. Yeah. So I think biases, you know, they can be a good and a bad thing. But I also think that when we do have a philosophy, when we do have a passion and you can sufficiently make that patient focused, then I think you do have a, have a real uh, recipe for success. But one of the problems we always have is we think about what we can give patients, not always what patients need or what they want. And mm. I think that that's a really big thing is that, you know, I know what's best for you, exercise. And I think that's one of the one of the issues is that what does exercise mean? What does it look like? How does it fit the values of the person we're working with? Mm. Even within itself, it's a bad question because what does exercise mean? It's such a broad, you know, entity. How do we, you know, you tell 10 people, use the word exercise with 10 people and they'll see, you'll see 10 different bubbles come up in their brain of what they're thinking about. Mm. So when people say, does exercise work? What a terrible question. Because it's like saying, does food work? Or does, do you see what I mean? Or That's does it, you know? Yeah, it's like, well, it doesn't work if I don't like it because I don't bloody eat it. So, mm. you know, it's a good analogy, actually. I've just thought about that. that I'm trademarking that. That's not physio network, sorry. Um, but it is like food because it's so broad that, you know, it, it's, it, it's a lot like exercise because I could put food on the table. I suppose it depends how hungry you are, right? Whether you're going to eat it or not. And again, right. that might be with patients how motivated they are. That that might be a, a a similar comparison. If you just spoke to the overarching framework of how we perceive that and magnitude rather than black or white, let's go nitty gritty. If you have a if you have a patient in front of you, you were talking about complex patients just before we started. How do you now reason what exercise to prescribe? Is it specific? Is it general? Is it even called exercise? 
tell us a bit about your clinical reasoning process when you well, when you're looking at it. The point is, I never start off with the concept of exercise in my mind. Mm. I start off with the concept of what does this person want to achieve? How mm. are we going to achieve it? Mm. So if you start off with the idea of the intervention as the first thing in your clinical reasoning, then you've probably messed that up. So the first thing in my mind is, who is this person? What's their journey? What's their story? What's their problem? Is it a specific problem? Is it a less specific medical problem, but more of a specific living problem or life problem, right? And then from there, I'm going to say, what does this person want to achieve? So for me, exercise and movement is only a way of achieving an end game. Do you see what I mean? Actually, to be honest with you, I don't care if people exercise or don't exercise. It's none of my business. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a heart attack, that's on you. But I would use it as a tool if it's applicable to get you back to doing things. No, So look, if we look at people like Tanya Gardner, a fellow Aussie, she's done lots of work with goal setting. If you look at goals, none of the goals that we generally think about or things that we measure don't relate to patient goals. There's very little relationship there. Now, the majority of patient goals are physical in nature, about Mm. half, about 50% or 49%, if you want to be accurate, in Tanya's paper was was about physical activity. Now, that's not exercise, that's physical activity, using our body. So people do have, the majority of time, physical limitations, right? That's Mm. what physical therapy is about. That's why it's called physio, physical therapy, you know, whatever, osteo, chiro, whatever, right? It's generally about moving, isn't it? Mm. and physical limitation. Doesn't mean that's the only thing. But for me, exercise is often about achieving an aim, an end goal of physicality, of confidence to move and use our bodies. So if I was going to have a non-specific lower back pain, I'm not thinking about exercise. I'm thinking about how is exercise going to help this person reach their end goal? It's a tool. It's a process. Um, And that might be that exercise signifies capability. Exercise means that I have a purpose. Exercise shows me I'm not disabled. It has no real physical aim. It might not even have an aim on health, but it might have a psychological aim, an aim of optimism, an aim of engagement. Whereas, let's take an ACL. Now, that's not about pain. It's generally about re-injury. If you look at lots of the research, people make the mistake of it being specific about pain. It's not. It's about re-injury. And you would say that quad strength is important because, um, you know, we know that quads, if I was going to, you know, my mate Eric, if he was going to have him here, he'd talk about the quads and, and what have you. And that for me would be more of a specific process, right? It's about some physical aspect. It's about return to play. It's about, you know, uh, being able to pass certain protocol criteria. But still, we know that you can be really strong but not psychologically ready. Now, that's a really important fact, you know. When I say fact, a loose fact. And there was a, re- a paper that came out last year that compared psychological readiness with physical readiness. Guess what? They don't have a great correlation. So the question is, who is the person? What is their problem? What do we need to achieve? How does exercise movement activity achieve that? So the big problem is people step into it being, I'm an exercise physio and so I'm going to exercise you. And that's a lose from the start because you're thinking about sets and reps, not the person who needs the sets and the reps or what the sets and the reps actually do for the person. So you might have clinically reasoned the intervention, but you haven't clinically reasoned the intervention for the person. 
And we did that with, with, um, with manual therapy, right? The, you know, I learned Maitland modes. And it was about, you know, this is the pain, this is the mode, mode you know, grade one, two, three, four, 11, 48, whatever we went for, right? That's like, and 48 is like a suplex. They're the pushing them right. through the bed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like twisting them up. Um, but, you know, it's the point is, are you clinically reasoning for the intervention or are you clinically reasoning for the person you're trying to help? And that's the big mistake people make with exercise and manual therapy and electro dry needling and grade 47 manipulations or whatever else people do. They are intervention focused, not person focused. And that's a big, for me, that's a lack of clinical reasoning, not uh, improved clinical reasoning. Mm. I think that really sticks out to me for young health professionals. And I do the same thing. I would. I would think this is shoulder and I would go to the shoulder filing cabinet and pull out, I've got these three or four techniques that'll work. There's these five exercises, low level, and then there's these harder ones over here. And I I still think this is the thought process um, that most young health professionals are coming out with. Do you think that that is okay to start in a system until they learn this stuff? Or do you think we need like to reform that from the beginning? No, I I see no... I see no reason why you would learn to be not person-focused from the back. Mm, mm. And I see that as being a fundamental flaw in, in most education now, mm. is that we need to start off by, you know, the process of interaction, communication, dealing with the person, mm. and then, and this is the biopsychosocial model. This is what Engel wanted. This is the point. Mm. Um, do you see what I mean? This is not yeah. new. This is not revolutionary. This is what we were talking about in the 50s. Mm. Um, so the point is, is that why would we, to be person-focused, why, why would you start off by not being person-focused? And mm. that's the problem. We learn mm. it after. Mm. And that hasn't proven to be successful. So any educational program, no matter what kind of therapist you are, should start with a period of just saying, how do I interact? How do I make this person feel comfortable? How do I learn to get the best from them in terms of information? How do I use that in my clinical reasoning? And I just don't understand why you would... And, uh, you know, I understand that it can be overwhelming uh, as a new grad or even as a um, going into university. But if you learn the wrong process off the bat, then surely it's going to be harder in the rest of the career, right? Yeah. Because we've got to go thought. somewhere else. So, mm. so I've looked, you know, how much anatomy do you use, mate? How, really, if you're really being honest, how much of your complex anatomy that you learn do you I'm, use? I've, on a I've, I've got a new physio and he's testing me on my insertions and attachments and I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, look, I know where it, look, it kind of goes onto the arm somewhere and yeah. then, it, you know, it goes onto the, near the hand and then it goes on near the elbow. Mm. Now, look, if you are... You know, I can understand why some, you know, diagnostic procedures are important. We need to understand that. And I understand. But really, is that anatomy focus based on older models of therapy where we're activating muscles, where Mm. we're palpating, where Mm. we're trying to be hyper, you know, specific when we know we're not that good at it? So I think there's times, you know, do you know who's really good at anatomy? People who teach anatomy. Mm. 
Yeah. Right? And they wow you. I remember sitting there with the guy. He knew all the handling positions, all the anatomy. And he blew me away with it and made me feel quite stupid. And then I realized that actually I can be okay at this and actually quite crap at that stuff. Mm. So I'm not suggesting people should be crap. I'm crap. But I don't know whether, I don't know how good you need to be. Mm. Someone will shoot me down for that, but I don't give a shit. I, no, I like it. I agree. I think that's the way we're moving. Uh, ben, thank you so much for your time. This has gone too quick. We're going to have to do part two and three. My, <laughs> my, my huge takeaway was learning more about the magnitude. It's not a yes or no, a black or white, an exercise or manual therapy. It's the magnitude. Yeah. And I love that starting with the person, and even I've been guilty of, here's my filing cabinet, this technique, that technique. What would be your one or two takeaways or something that's changed in your practice in the last two or three years? Yeah, I mean, look, let's go back. Look, I started off very biomechanical like everyone else. I wanted the right exercise, um, you know, and for me it was about getting the right movement, the right exercise, whatever. What I've learned in the last five, maybe even ten years, is that I need probably to be more focused on the person and less focused on the problem or less focused or on the exercise that I use. They are just tools. Um, you, people have different responses to the same thing. People are always looking for the protocol. One thing that people don't understand about protocols is that they give you varied responses. Isometrics is a great example of that recently, that when we look at individual outcomes, they tend to be very different. What it tells us, standardized interventions have different outcomes according to the baseline characteristics, response dosage, whatever. So don't expect protocols to give you the answer. Be more person-focused, be less intervention-focused. I love it. Thank you very much. Let's leave it on that pearl. Thanks for your time, mate. No worries. Thank you for having me.